Welcome to another edition of the Week Den Update. I am your host, Will Walker, and I'm joined every week by John Kraft. John, how's it going? It's going well. So maybe uh, Grizzlies culture ascendant over heat culture, potentially. Oh, that's one of the many topics we'll be discussing. <laughs> John is on a scouting trip uh, in Denver, so we are recording this remotely today. The Grizzlies are sitting at 15-9. and nine. That is good for third in the conference, tied for fifth in the NBA. It's about the same as it was last week. Their offensive rating has improved to 113.3. They're eighth in the NBA. Defensive rating is at a 111.5. They continue their rise in defensive rating from 18th last week to 14th this week. Net rating at 1.8. That's good for ninth in the league, which is great. You want that to be in the yep. top 10. Point differential per cleaning the glass is a 3.0, which is good for eighth in the NBA. So right there with the net rating. And we are going to start like we do every week with some news. John, you want to get us started there? On uh, 12 uh, so December 3rd, uh, John Morant, it came out, so that was last Saturday, John Morant was fined $35,000 for inappropriate language directed to an official and not leaving the court in a timely manner. Uh, something I found interesting because I didn't feel like he – I feel like he got ejected and left, but maybe I need to watch the replay again. Uh, but uh, but a, a very uh, we were kind of waiting after being ejected. Both him and Dylan got ejected on Wednesday. I think Dylan for having a second technical. But uh, but we were kind of waiting around to see what was going to happen with that. How how much it was going to cost him. Um, and you know thirty five thousand dollars. Maybe he feels better. It it was a weird weird scene. Honestly, I don't really love seeing that from our guys. I don't know what you think about it. There was a lot of frustration uh, at the end of that game. If you watched it, you know, and we're going to dive more deeply into it in just a few minutes. But I think it was less about the, you know, act itself and more about just the frustration with the way that the team themselves performed. Uh, the officiating, you know, there were some calls that could have gone uh, our way that didn't. And at the end of the day, I don't think that was the reason we lost. And I think Ja. And the guys knew that, and it was more of just frustration that they were taking out. And it was just a little bit unclear. I get why he was fined, but at the end of the day, I think it was more frustration with his uh, performance. Yeah. The big news of the week, however, was that Sham Sharani reported, um, this is actually yesterday, that John Morant is in line to receive a new signature shoe in the near future. The parties have been working on this deal for several months, and... I am interested to see what you think about this, John, because we had been talking about this for a few months now, ever since the offseason. Ja was asked about it. He was very coy, uh, and was we knew something was up his sleeve. We just didn't know what the timing was going to be. I believe one. I, I believe you hypothesized that maybe around All-Star, uh, it could be as late as next offseason, but with the Kyrie Irving situation bubbling up over the past month, Nike actually cut ties with Kyrie, and... This, to me, seemed as if it was the catalyst for the, the announcement. And I am so excited that Ja will finally have a signature shoe. 
It's been a long time coming, and I will be first in line uh, to purchase one of these. I w- I'm interested to see what the design is going to be like because Ja has been known to wear multiple kinds of shoes, whether that's low tops or high tops or what. I guess depending on his injury status, honestly, has is, is been a lot of it. But he's a guy who has such a colorful style on the court, and I'm sure it's going to show itself uh, in his shoe line as well. What did you think when the news dropped, Kraft? No, I was excited. Um, you know, I think – we thought uh, by the summer at the latest that, you know, it was going to happen. But it's good to see that it's already here and they're already announcing it. And I hear they're – like I saw, on, I saw on Twitter that they're taking casting calls for a commercial they're filming in a week or two in Memphis. And so that, that makes me feel like maybe Christmas Day game will get a new cool jaw commercial. I still don't know when we'll actually get to see the signature shoe, um, you know, or when, th- when real leaks will come out that we know. Uh, but but it seemed like it's happening and just it's just exciting because you know this isn't uh it's a rare event honestly for a player there's not many players that have signature shoes and then for not only to have a signature shoe but for it to be a player um, from memphis and one who signed for a long time it's just really exciting uh you know and i I just think like uh i I think everybody in memphis is gonna be walking around in these shoes soon Oh my gosh! Not just Memphis too. Yeah, that's not be just the Memphis. The cool part is is just the national brand that's going to be Ja Morant, and I I hope the shoes aren't uh, similar to you know the Steph, Steph Curry, the infamous launch of yes. the Steph Currys. Uh, I I trust Nike a bit more than Under Armour with footwear, so mm. we'll see where that goes. No, I think their their marketing team is pretty much top notch, so I expect I expect it'll be good. Yep. Well, the last piece of news we have is yesterday as well. Uh, there were a lot of injuries announced uh, prior to the Heat game happening, and Zaire Williams was the lone bright spot, I would say, on that injury report because he has been out for every game all season, and he was upgraded to doubtful uh, against the Heat. And he had had a, some run with the G League team. I know it was either yesterday or the day before, and this is great news. We've been waiting for this Zaire upgrade, we were in the window. Actually, it's interesting because the uh, the four to six weeks that they announced, this is at the very tail end of that window. So he still hasn't played. That's that's worth noting. He didn't end up playing against the Heat, but all signs point to potentially seeing Zaire on the floor this week. Yes. So what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I'm very excited. I think um, you know, I think Wednesday might still be too soon. We don't know. I mean, it has been doubtful then questionable, uh, but I think for sure Friday, I think you can count on Friday at the, the Pistons um, that he'll, he'll have appeared in either the Thunder or the Pistons game this week. I feel pretty, pretty confident about that, and, uh, and that's exciting. And then, and then a, in a good way, have two days off Saturday and Sunday this weekend, and so um, a good time for him to come in and play. And it just, you know, we, it's funny because we, so many of our players have taken leaps this year and, and really becoming in the preseason Zaire was the main, was one of the main guys. We were like, we need him to take a leap. We're looking forward to him taking a leap. Uh, and in his second year had a good summer league, looked really promising. And, uh, and, on, and honestly, we've missed, I think a little bit of his, uh, just length and athleticism, uh, you know, that, that a lot of our rookies, uh, which we'll talk about more in the games they've played have looked promising, but but it's been it will be nice to have someone who just can run down the floor, uh, create more fast break opportunities, uh, great lob target, um, and so it's, and just honestly a really tall, uh, lengthy player who's athletic will be really exciting to have. So, 
and shoring up some minutes that have been given to the rookies, which have not always gone great. They've gone right. better in the last week. Yeah. The other thing is we have not heard about the reevaluation of Bain's injury. He was supposed to be reevaluated this week, and I, I do believe that it probably happened, but we have not heard any update about it ever since we had seen some pictures tweeted out about him doing some on-court work before some games last week. I have not seen any news of the sort this week, so we will keep our ears open for a Bane update because that would be the last piece to get our starting lineup to its full and... Let's move on now to the game. Oh, from actually, you know what? You have I, have, I have one piece of breaking news that I forgot to share. Oh. Yeah, so on November 28th, the Lakers blew a 17-point lead to the Pacers. <laughs> uh, with uh, Nimhard shooting a shot over LeBron, I just think I uh, – it just felt like news I needed to share at our it's, news item. So It was unbelievable. The Lakers – have been in the news recently mostly positive anthony davis is playing out of his mind right now right i don't even have to feel bad for lakers fans you might listen to this for dissing on him oh yeah no you know i celebrate every lakers loss like it's a grizzlies (laughs) win and it's a weird scenario right now though because we don't want the lakers to be too bad to then swap picks with the pelicans but it doesn't feel right to cheer for right. the Lakers in any scenario. So we're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. My hope is still that the Lakers have just enough success to get into the play-in mix, and then they just fall flat on their face, and that pick ends up just like right in the middle where yep. the lottery drops out and the Pelicans are left with just a middling pick. Yeah, definitely. Win, win, win against some teams that are around us in the standings. Um but uh, but continue to blow seventeen point leads so that and make my night. So Andrew Nimhard too was on our short list. I remember back to the draft pods because that was at the yeah. point where we weren't sure whether Tyus Jones was going to come back, and he was right. a a seasoned point guard coming out of college that seemed like he could just be a plug and play. And yeah. it's been really cool to see his performance recently. Even and Indiana even beat the Warriors last yeah. night and he played well again i believe he yeah. might have been their leading scorer so yeah i think it was like 30 31 points and 14 assists which is pretty amazing for a rookie yes um okay so, let's let's move on yeah. to the games we've referenced this point before but i am very glad this is not a game by game podcast and it's a week long podcast because the next game we had after recording last week was the timberwolves game after pretty much i think it was 3 days rest now it's important to note that Some of that rest was spent in New York, and so who knows how much resting was going on. But the Grizzlies had, in my estimation, their worst performance of the season in a loss against the Timberwolves, who uh, were missing Carl Anthony Towns. And we can argue about whether or not that was, you know, the the reason why they actually started to play better. So that is a big debate going on right now. But Anthony Edwards went off. The Grizzlies shot themselves in the foot over and over and over again, lost 109 to 101 in Minnesota. John, what was your main takeaway from this game? I was so mad about this game. Um, I I just, the, the shocking uh, takeaway was the 27 turnovers, which I think was like we haven't had that many since like pre grit and grind era Grizzlies. It's the most and, turnovers in a, in a Taylor Jenkins coached team. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 a crazy amount of turnovers, and so many of them just seemed uh, 
uh, weird. You know, Jaw had seven, and it just it was a it was just a rough look. And and I don't know if like you know obviously I think they thought they were getting fouled some. That was part of their frustration with the refs. Uh, but at the same time, you got to adjust to how the refs are calling it, and it just felt like they kept going to the lane and just giving the ball away to a team that was struggling to score, and we were just giving them free points. Uh, you know, we also missed 12 free throws. I know you've harped on the free throw thing the last couple of weeks. You know, 18 60%. of 30. And, and what's hilarious about the game was I believe that, that – us. <laughs> That our best free throw shooter was Steven Adams, that he was like two for two in the game. He was so he shot hundred percent. So we can't blame Adams for the bad free throw shooting. So just those two things that so those things were terrible. And the crazy part is we were still sort of in the game. Like anytime you tell people that you give up that many possessions with twenty seven turnovers, uh, like how are you possibly in this game? But we we out rebounded them by thirty, which is crazy. So that kept us sort of in the game. But it's so frustrating because when you play terrible and still have a shot to win, it just shows that you're losing. You're, you've lost to a bad team, and uh, and it just it was a bad loss all around. So it was a pretty upsetting uh, game in general. It was extremely upsetting, mainly because they. I feel like walked into the arena just thinking that the Wolves were going to bow out after a couple of good quarters and just surrender the game to the Grizzlies because actually Minnesota was up by one at the end of the first quarter, but then they were down by four at halftime and then scored 31 and 34 in the next two quarters while the Grizzlies could only eke out 24 and 29. I thought that Ja started to play a little bit too heliocentric by the end he put up 20 shots shot a for 20 uh we also it's not as if they just hit all these threes they shot 30 percent from three we shot 35 percent and so we were basically about average in that respect but uh Jalen well off the bench for them 24 points Anthony Edwards though I mean he he really did take the the reins of the game and I thought it was very indicative of what he feels like his role is now that Cat is no longer on the floor, and you could see him take control. And I think there's also just the built-up <sighs> angst against the Grizzlies losing that playoff uh, yeah. series for Ants, and I think that Ja would be the same way. Uh, you could see Ja perform that way against the Warriors, and we'll see it this season, of course, after the the um, the playoff loss last year. But I just thought that this was a game that was easily winnable and we just punted it away time after time. Yeah. It just, and, and like, that's one, you know, again, you're not going to hear me criticize John much, but I feel like we have to be honest, you know, every now and then he shows that he's 23. And I felt like there was definitely this sense of Anthony Edwards was guarding him pretty well, had, had knocked some balls away. Uh, He was not having a great game. And I feel like instead of making the right pass, which he's done in many of the other games, he's usually great at this. I felt like he was like, I'm going to show – I want to sh- I want to prove myself that I can take Anthony Edwards off the dribble. And when it's – sometimes it's like you don't have it that night. You, you don't need to prove it. <laughs> you beat him in the playoff series last year. But you don't have it. Make the right pass. Uh, and I just felt like there was a lot of a lot of forcing shots, and it happens every now and then still from Jaw, but uh, but he's you know we're gonna get to a game where he's, it was amazing in just a little bit, but I feel like it's not fair if we don't criticize Jaw a little bit for that, and I think that made the fine and the the getting thrown out of the game sort of uh, just feel like a lot of immaturity, honestly, uh, you know that that he kind of just had, had a bad game and didn't perform like he wanted to, and he couldn't handle it, so. 
It's also worth mentioning what does not show up in the stat sheet about Rudy Gobert's defense is the way that he challenges guys who uh, score in the paint more often than not. And Ja up, was putting up floaters that looked slightly unnatural. Uh, he had to pull up a little bit sooner, and so there was more arc on the ball, which means there's more room for error in that respect. And so I thought Rudy really did affect that and he also just there's the Grizzlies still are four. They were last year they were fourth in percentage of their points coming from the paint. Uh, excuse me, last year they were first. This year yep. they are fourth, and so it it made a difference when the Grizzlies just couldn't get anything in the paint. And I think that also needed to be mentioned. Um, well, a couple nights later, the Grizzlies were at home against the Philadelphia 76ers. You and I were both in attendance. It was a it was a really fun game for a lot of reasons. Number one. Anytime we don't see Philadelphia but once, and so this is you know your one opportunity to see them in FedEx Forum. Joel Embiid is still having a great season. He's not in the MVP conversation necessarily, um, unfortunately for my preseason bet there. But then also DeAnthony Melton's homecoming, as well, was another storyline in the game. The Grizzlies end up taking the win, 117 to 109, bouncing back from their loss in Minnesota. John, what was your biggest takeaway about this game? Yeah, so the biggest excitement was just getting to see Embiid. Like, he's famously not played in Memphis in, like, four years. Um, I'd never have gotten to see him live. And just to see what a gigantic human being he is, that he sort of dwarfs Stephen Adams, which is crazy. Uh, and so it was just fun seeing him. It was fun uh, seeing how we guarded him. And uh, the quietest 35 points ever. I was shocked because I thought we did. I, I too, like Jenkins after the game said he thought Adams did a great job on him. And then was then you could see he looked at the box score and it was like, well, you know, like even though he gave up 35 points, I still think he did a good job. And I feel like that too. It, it didn't feel like he was dominating the game or anything. It just felt like uh, – but, uh, but then one thing, and it's it's been on – it, it, I think some people have put it on TikTok and Twitter, but there's been some pictures going around of Steven Adams and him guarding Embiid and kind of just like leaning on him and messing with him. And, and uh, I enjoyed that. I mean, one thing from being at the game that was super interesting to me was that the 76ers don't when – the, when you're shooting free throws, the 76ers don't put Embiid in the box to rebound, but they go ahead and let him walk all the way down to the court and get him post-up position – and then off a rebound or a made free throw, they push it up pretty fast and try to get the ball to Embiid in the post before the defense is set up. And I just found that very interesting. It made me wonder if, like, that was something we should have done back with Zebo back in the day, uh, just because part of you know part of the reason people are so down on the post up these days and the post game is because of how long it takes to get the ball into the post, and it leaves you little time with the 24-second shot clock. And so I just found that very, very fascinating and interesting, uh, you know, that and you had these weird duels going on during the free throws with Steven and, and Embiid, like, leaning on each other and messing with each other, sometimes laughing, sometimes it felt like Embiid was pretty annoyed. So anyway, that, that was like the fun, that was one of those fun getting to be there uh, moments for me. Yeah, I totally agree. We actually noticed it live because I just like watching Steven Adams anytime I'm at the forum, no matter what, even when he's on the bench. Like, he's just a funny guy. Like, he'll do, he'll have all these antics and things like that. And that was definitely the highlight to me there. The, the biggest play of the game 
which I think we should discuss for a minute, is the Jaron Jackson block on Embiid at the very end to really seal it. I will say, 76ers never got within one possession. Uh, so it never, yeah. to me, the result never felt in doubt. And part of that was because John Morant was, he and Joel Embiid were the two best players on the floor. The, the problem is, though, they weren't necessarily going head-to-head relative to their position. Philadelphia was missing James Harden and Tyrese Maxey. Now, Harden is not known for his defense. Maxey is just, a, he's an energy guy and has, has started to develop uh, offensively a ton in the last year. But they were missing those two guys. So Melton and Shake Milton got the start. And you could just tell, like, no one was going to be stopping John Morant, especially, especially with the added bonus of him getting to go against his his old running buddy in Melton. I think he, he had a quote after the game, too, where, you know, they, they had a great post-game scrum around Melton just to welcome him back and, and say hello, and that was great to see. But he said, when we're in, inside the four lines, you know, I'm, I'm trying to crush you, and it doesn't matter who you are. And so I, he had a, I thought Jaw had a, had a really good game. Mm-hmm. Even though he shot two, 10 for 28, I, I still think he had a, a great game. And I, one thing I wanted to mention, too, is we forgot to say it during the Minnesota segment, but David Roddy was was a plus 16 for the yep. 76ers game and he was also the only grizzly with a positive plus minus off the bench in the Minnesota game. And so yep. he has started to really come along and now Minnesota he had all four of his brothers I believe in attendance it's the first game that all of them have gotten to see him and that's his yep. hometown so it was really great to see him. He actually kept the Grizzlies in that game for a lot of the second half. I thought, and in the 76ers game, he came came through, shot three for five, was one for three from three, and had a plus 16 due to a lot of his energy play. So I thought he played yeah. well in this game. No, I thought, yeah, it was back-to-back good performances by Roddy, and I think it was especially, that was helpful. You know, again, we, we don't, you know, I'm not trying to play sides. Like, I, I cheer, when I get to watch the 76ers, they're not playing a team that I appreciate. You know, I'm cheering for Melton to do well. And, uh, but there was a part of me just with, uh, I don't know, the, the sort of anxiety of the fan base, you know, I think the, that both Roddy playing well and and our bench in general playing well, this game This is one of the few games where you look up, looked at it and our bench had a pretty good plus minus. I think it speaks probably a little bit more to how bad 76ers bench is, but, but, and, uh, but it was good to see Roddy play well, especially in that, you know, you're, you're having, that just forever he's going to forever be linked with Melton because of that trade. And it was good to see, you know, Melton had a good game too. He didn't have a bad game, but he definitely did not shut jaw down. And he definitely didn't like, there was no time when he took shots that I was like frustrated uh, with the shots that he took and, or was nervous, like he was going to kill us. And, and so it was just good to see that Melton had an okay game and Roddy had a good game. And uh, just to kind of, I don't know, quench some of just the, people continuing to be upset about our bench issues um which which we'll get to in a minute we'll get to in a later game that our bench issues uh were, were continue to show well but but that was something that was good to see um because i think that's continues to just that is the you know it, it's it's like dylan's playing well enough now where that's kind of dissipated a little bit on grizz twitter but the new the new grizz twitter debate is definitely the the melton trade the 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 losing kyle anderson and melton uh, that seems to be the thing that gets people riled up. So, 
Yeah, to me, Melton's stat. I mean, he had a he he was a plus eleven. Uh, he did lead the team in plus minus, so you have to give credit where it's due in that respect. All that to say, though, like I really didn't think that any of the threes that he let go were going in, and I felt like a lot of those could have been very timely for the Sixers, given that he took eight of them. And I also felt like not a lot of them were super contested either, and so it was a good reminder of. You know, Melton, what he does, I believe, on paper has tended to outweigh what it feels like he does on the court more often than not. Now, there are times, like, there are specific yep. games that I remember Melton being the energy we needed off the bench to really bring us back into a game, and then he kind of hands over the reins to, to, to the Stars to finish it out. And so, you know, we have to be fair to Melton that he's in a starting role. This is not what his strength right. is, and he still had a pretty good game. But at the same time... I had a kind of an exhale, I would say, at the yeah. end of the game, especially with Roddy starting to finally shoot a little bit better. Like, okay, right. we're going to be fine. We're not. It's not a perfect transition right now, but at the end of the day, you know, right. I don't, for instance, think that I can go as far to say that it was a mistake. The NBA season is heating up, and there are still so many unknowns. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pre-game money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame money line bet on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Uh, which right. we did have that debate on yeah, the, on the we last did. podcast. Yeah, we did. I think we were more... Ne- we were more nervous about that two weeks ago i mean a week ago so that that shows like how we go up and down in the season which is always fun i mean this is why we do it it's fun uh this is the fun stuff to do in the regular season but you know again and then i think one of the things that i was also realizing is just you know we've not had bane we've not had sayir and like really conchar is the person we should be comparing melton to and i think conchar's filled in for melton's role great and, and we're actually asking our 11th, 12th men in the Ravia and Roddy to come in and fill a role that was, you know, our eighth, ninth man. And, and we weren't, ex- you know, I don't know how much the rookies would have played if we were fully healthy. Well, I guess we'll f- hopefully I would love to find that out. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I definitely think, you know, it's sort of unfair uh, what, what we've been comparing Roddy to because it really is more, you know, Conchar and Zaire and Aldama really are the three pe- three players that were replacing the Kyle DeAnthony Melton uh, losses this year at least. So I think I think the debate can continue. I mean, and if you look up in a year, Roddy's really struggling. I mean, I think we can go back and look. And but it seems like you know to me, Conchar's filled in for Melton's role very well. Agreed. Oh, one other, yeah, one other thing, just real quick. I just think, uh, I think what you were saying. I meant to say this earlier that uh, what was cool is, and I know they were they were missing Harden, 
you know, but technically, I mean, they lost last night again. They have not been great with Harden. That's been a hard matchup. But but definitely the tie, the Maxi loss, I think, is a big deal. But, you know, obviously we, we're missing Bain. We're missing Zaire. But I just thought that is a team that a lot of people saw as a contender and a top-tier team. And I just thought we had kind of a professional win. Like, I never – after the first quarter, I never had a moment in the second half that I thought we were going to lose that game. And I think that's pretty cool to say where we are, especially maybe how we would have talked about the team a couple weeks ago. Absolutely. Uh, Let's move on to the Pistons game, which was what I would call the most professional win of professional wins. I think we need to focus, though, on the third quarter heard around the world. John Morant erupted for 21 points in the third quarter, which was his career high. His previous was uh, 20 in the fourth quarter against Sacramento, actually, earlier in the year. And there were a few just highlights that I'd like to pull out of this third quarter that were just ridiculous. It was the full John Morant experience. He had a, a dunk which reminded me a lot of his coast-to-coast dunk against Brooklyn last year, one of the, the best dunks of the season. It showed up on all of the top tens there, and it was just, I mean, he took off from behind the dotted line, basically. It was an unbelievable transition dunk. He also had what I would consider to be Probably my favorite of all the different plays where he kind of got trapped in the corner against Corey Joseph, and Joseph was really crowding him. And John Morant, with time running out on the shot clock, had to figure something out, and he ended up having this kind of side-slash-back-step three that was fading into our bench and just hit this three right in Corey Joseph's eye, falling into the bench, and that was when I knew, okay, we're in for trouble here in the third quarter. He also had an and one over Jalen Duran. By the way, I misspoke on the podcast last week, and because I read this wrong, I thought it was a home game. It was an away away game. I said it was Jalen Duran's return home. That'll have to wait for later. Um, <laughs> he also had some cross-court passes that I thought were unbelievable. He really did have some Pistons defenders just basically blitzing out near half court. And he he found whoever was open, and usually it was somebody cutting in the middle of the lane. And so I thought the cross-court passes. He also, there was a Xavier Tillman lob to Morant thrown in there, which was a lot of fun. A reverse Santi Aldama alley-oop. A Morant two-for-one-three at the end of the quarter with like 33 seconds left, yep. which was... That's was just the cap on the whole. Well, then he had a coast to coast layup with seven coast seconds left. Two. So I guess yeah. the the three wasn't the cap. It was that the two for one was successful, and he was the one who made it all happen. So an incredible third quarter to truly put this game away. I mean, we already knew kind of what was going to happen, what the result was going to be, but just an unbelievable performance by Ja. Yeah, it was hilarious. The it's getting hilarious to me the the Aldama signature <laughs> backwards dunk though. That he's like seemingly more comfortable dunking it backwards than forwards, uh, but no, it was it was incredible. Uh, I still I wish you know I want with the three assists I want I'm trying to I've been trying to find online somebody who's put all of the plays together, including the three assists. You know because I always think what I loved about that is he had he was passing it incredibly well into you know in the Detroit game as well, and so it was just it was just a full quarter, definitely a highlight. You know, uh, <laughs> in previous seasons. All, everything he did that quarter would have been the number one play for the gr- highlight of the Grizzlies season, and he did like seven of them in a quarter. <laughs> it was unreal. Seriously. I mean, I just went back and watched it over this morning just to prep for the podcast, yeah. just to remind myself how amazing it was. Yeah. 
Yeah, those are the kind of games where I go back. I mean, this is this is how degenerate I am. Go back and listen to the um, the away. You know, the the other broadcast crew just to like have to just to listen to them be so you know amazed with what Jaw's doing and and just continue to you know basically count our blessings that that Jaw that we got that lottery ball. We when sure we did. needed it. So man, so it was great. Uh, any and other takeaways the, from that game? Uh, you know, not really professional win. Uh, I thought it was good. Um, uh, that, uh, I, I said Conchar had a really good game again. Uh, I liked seeing that. I just liked, I liked the professionalism of the win. Oh, well, one thing that was actually an interesting little wrinkle was we let, we let Steven Adams sit, which I thought was a great opportunity after, a, after him playing in bead, very physical game, giving him a night off. Uh, but uh, but we started the Brandon Clark Jaron backcourt. Yes, that last year, you know, with Adams, I think Adams dealing with injuries a lot last year. I think we always were more excited when we closed with the Jaron Clark front court, and so it was fun to kind of. We haven't really gotten to see that much this year, so it was fun to see that start. Uh, and so I just really enjoyed that. I I also just enjoy when Clark gets the opportunity. Uh, at, you know, Tyus is great. We'll talk more about Tyus in a minute. But I love when Clark gets the opportunity to catch lobs from Jaw, and it's just it's really fun. Yeah, he had 14 and 14 in this game. It was plus five. I mean, he had an awesome game, and it was a great maybe preview of what we'll see more of in the playoffs down the stretch, or sometimes maybe depending on matchup, could see also in the starting unit. I don't know how often, uh, but it was it was really cool to see, and I'm glad they tried it out, especially in a non-threatening environment in Detroit. So. Um, Moving on to the Heat game, which was last night. It was a game that I was looking at, you know, as, you know, this is going to be a good challenge. The Heat are coming off some rest. We're coming back from a a win in Detroit, and it's the only time the Heat are going to be in FedEx Forum. We, I feel like, have some good culture comparison to the Heat, so it's always fun to see how we match up. Eric Spolstra is really fun to play against. He always has an, or not fun to play against, but interesting to play against based on some of his schemes. But then we received the injury report, report, and we were excited about the Zaire doubtful listing, but then we saw Morant as being doubtful. We saw Jaron as being out because of some injury management rest there. We Bain, of course, still listed out, but then Jake Laravia and John Contour all listed out. And so yeah. we were basically heading to schedule loss territory. And to me, this is the most surprising result of the entire week, which was a 101 to 93 when holding the Miami Heat, the full strength Miami Heat, to 93 points. Tyus Jones was the player of the game with 28. He, he finally had a breakout that we've been waiting for. But to me, the story truly was that the four guys off the bench were Kennedy Chandler, Xavier Tillman, Vince Williams, a two-way player, and, of course, Brandon Clark. And David Roddy got the start. So we were pretty shorthanded going into this Miami game. Very shorthanded. <laughs> I mean, like when you only dressed, you know, basically 10 people dressed – uh, you know, and when you have up to 17 people like that is that is a definitely a depleted roster, uh, you know, so I was definitely in that. I think I thought, you know, uh, I'll watch I'll watch the game, not expecting much. Uh, look, 
good chance for the rookies to get some experience, but definitely expected a loss. You know, from a Heat team that, like you said, was well-rested, was coming off a Celtics victory. I mean, they beat what most people think is the best team in the NBA right now. They beat them. And and so I'm pretty shocked. I mean, like, on you know, it's one of those we go back to the – the T was, you know, that uh, the famous like Hubie Brown statement about like in an NBA regular season, you're going to have five games where you can't do anything right. And you're going to have five teams where just you somehow amazingly win. You don't know why, like all the shots go in or whatever. And I don't know. I mean, what will be interesting to see is if this is the case, like this is one of those rare events or if, if we're starting to see you know, our team round into what they were last year, which was a team that you could put anybody in and we competed and we played hard and, uh, you know, and we beat teams we had no business to beating. But, I mean, this felt like a repeat of that Suns game last year where we took advantage of a team coming in a little emotionally let down, knowing who they were playing, and kind of hit them in the mouth. And then they didn't – by the time they really responded – uh, it was too late. I mean, what was weird, you know, it almost kind of worked in our favor that the Heat came out shooting lights out. I thought it was going to be a repeat of last year's at Miami game. Uh, but it actually kind of helped because I felt like it kind of got them into sort of all-star game mode of we're just going to throw up threes. And we kept competing and and, uh, and really, in a sense, won the way we did last year, which is not really shooting great, but like lots of turnovers, lots of getting out on the break, lots of extra possessions with rebounds, hustling. Uh, just creating havoc. Uh, so it was really, it was just a really fun game to watch and to see. And I'm still kind of shocked it happened uh, because the Heat were fully healthy. And that's what's crazy. Yeah, two things that really stuck out to me. The, okay, so Tyus Jones, we had a discussion on our last podcast about his performance so far. And I thought that some critique has been warranted. I do believe that the lineups he's been playing in were obviously weaker than they were last season. So he's had, I would say, from like a plus-minus standpoint or some lineup data in there, like he really and truly has been playing with some tough lineups with rookies. They've been in and out with injury, but he still hadn't gotten into a rhythm shooting-wise. And I remember a conversation we had on this show and it was about the potential jaw injury. At the time, we didn't know what it was going to be, what the timeline was going to be. And one of the points I remember us making was, this might be exactly what Tyus needs to really get into a rhythm. And so, of course, jaw comes back way sooner than we anybody could have predicted. And so I don't feel as though Tyus got that chance to really work through uh, with starter-level players. So just basically guys that he knows he can rely on and therefore doesn't have to be the highest usage player on the team or excuse me in the lineup so I thought that this was a really great opportunity played 36 minutes scored 28 points which was his career high went three for six from three and I felt like he really did control the game and uh it's not as if though everybody around him played amazing either he he kind of had to be the engine more often than not, for the offense. And a couple of the notes, I do not know why the Heat aren't playing Duncan Robinson. Uh, It is kind of mind-boggling to me that he just gets a DNP, especially on a night like last night when it's obvious that guys aren't hitting shots. Like, I would think that Spolster would bring somebody off the bench who could potentially provide a spark. And we've typically struggled 
like uh, especially especially when we're shorthanded, like we don't always guard the just pure three point shooters very well. We we like to sag in because we really like to protect the paint. We often give up the threes, and I think Duncan Robbins normally killed us. So so I was I'm still shocked. It's a weird. I don't really know what's going on there. It's it's a very weird situation with Duncan Robinson. Um, you know, I'll be interested to see. You know, I think people don't want to trade for him because of the contract's pretty high. But but it's just interesting to see. It's just a weird to see a DMP for him. Yeah, it's very strange. Uh, Kennedy Chandler played really well yep. off the yes. bench. He actually got 25 minutes, which is uh, tops for him this season. And I thought that one of the interesting elements to the game was that Miami played a ton of zone defense which they are known to do and Philly actually played some zone too the last Friday night so the Grizzlies have had two opportunities to break zones I thought that Chandler played so patiently in that zone and was attacking when he needed to he also hit he hit a three took four I thought one of them if he had hit would have just blown the roof off of the building it was on a I think it was a Santi Aldama save out of bounds in the second quarter which would have been maybe one of the plays of the season that were non-John Morant back save oh man he just I mean that was a great spot that Chandler I mean you wish that he would have hit the hit the three but yeah. at the same time I think it still had uh, the proper effect on the crowd especially the crowd was yeah. up after that but no I was impressed I was impressed yeah. with Chandler it's good to see him get some run you know it's funny I wonder uh, I, I almost want to go back and look I, you know it's funny I wonder if Roddy and Kennedy like if them having just played in college actually might be beneficial for them like you know because I know Tennessee was a top team last year and they probably faced the zone. Obviously, you still have the weird paint rules and all that's different rules, but like there did seem to be this like, oh, I know how to like I'm I'm used to zones uh, kind of feel to him that was really cool. I mean, I mean he definitely uh, you know to me this the shot is still the one thing like having a consistent enough outside shot. But I mean everything else I mean looks very very promising as far as kind of his just feel of the game and his definitely his defensive intensity. And uh, so it's really good in his driving ability. So it was very prompt, very exciting uh, to see what he did last night. Yeah, a couple other just random notes. We only had two officials due to a yeah. non-COVID illness to the third official last night. One of them was Scott Foster, which there were a few Scott Foster moments, which were, you know, puzzling <laughs> and frustrating for both teams. Uh, he, yes. he really has a gift to really make both teams very angry when he's officiating. But I thought that was interesting. I mean... It, I don't feel like it affected the game in the long run, but I did. I was nervous down the stretch. If it was going to get close, I would have hated for some call to to be the reason, and that you know would obviously be something that we would point to as only having two officials. And the other thing was something actually Pete Pranica said on the broadcast, which is in back to backs, the Grizzlies have a hundred and one offensive rating and a hundred and twenty three defensive rating. And so this was b- before last night, and I'm. Very glad that we held the heat to what we did because that's going to really help that defensive yes. rating. But that's, I mean, that's something to note that this team has not been particularly strong on back to backs. So, I mean, definitely something to keep our eye on moving forward. Yeah. No, it was, it was I mean, it is definitely, uh, like I said, it almost, this win almost made up for losing the T Wolves game. It probably should. I probably need to get over the T Wolves game uh, just because it was such an easy, such a win there to have. But, but it's very exciting. And it's one of those things where I had, uh, when you prepare yourself to be 14 and 10, 15 and 9 looks really, really good, um, you know, and continue to kind of move up in the standings uh, as well. And so, uh, so it's, 
it's it was it was a fun game and it felt it felt like for those who have been I guess nervous that maybe we lost some of our culture um, some of our mojo from last year I think last night hopefully put some of them at ease um, you know it's good as I always try to remember we are better right now through 24 games than we were last year uh, so like while I know that obviously our huge run came in the second half of the season. Uh, it's just good, you know, it's just, I want people to remember, like, we are we are ahead of where we were last year uh, so far. And so I think uh, it's just, it just very exciting, um, you know, good cultural moments last night. So very fun. Absolutely. Well, as we transition into talking about this next week's games, which there are actually only two. So we only have two coming up here, and both of them are very familiar opponents. We are playing the Oklahoma City Thunder, Wednesday night, 7 p.m., and then we're playing the Pistons at home, this time Jalen Duran homecoming officially at 7 p.m. on Friday night, December 9th. So those are the only two games we're really going to talk about, but before we get into those, I wanted to reference an article that came out on the Daily Memphian by Drew Hill, and it was it was the, it was essentially about the opportunity the Grizzlies have in the month of December based on a few schedule related um, schedule related points. So the first is that we are beginning the longest homestand, or we did begin against the Heat the longest homestand of the season, which is five games. So that's big. Also, the two teams ahead of the Grizzlies in the standings, which right now are the Phoenix Suns and the New Orleans Pelicans, will play each other three times over the next 11 days. So there's some cannibalism that could be happening at the top there. Uh, Also, the Grizzlies will play four times this month with two or more days of rest. And dating back to the start of last season, the Grizzlies are 18-7 and when resting two or more days. And that's also very important if you are on a roster that is suffering injuries and needs time to bring guys back and ramp guys up. So that's going to be really big for Jaron's rest. It's going to be big for Bain coming back and Zaire because I assume they're going to pace out those all three of those returns. So that really could be a huge step in the right direction for yeah. the Grizzlies as they're jockeying at the top of the West. Yeah. And I think also just, you know, and obviously he, that third quarter in Detroit, but like jaw, I think is still, I mean, like I, you know, I, I think there's definitely ankle soreness, you know, I think, uh, I know that some people have kind of said, you know, especially after we lost to the Kings, maybe Josh should have just stayed out that one game, one more game, and rested, uh, but it's good that he'll get some time too. And obviously rested last game, but uh, get a little more time to kind of get that ankle almost a hundred percent. So, but I think that is, and, and one thing that I've been telling, you know, uh, often, you know, one of the things that I think people that are still a little nervous have been talking to me about is like, well, we've had a soft schedule uh, so far. And, and in some ways going into the season, we thought the schedule was going to be soft, but really when you go back and look at it, you know, it's a lot of teams that we thought were going to be bad, like the Utah Jazz, that were like automatic two Ws that actually have been much better. Um, and so I don't know, looking back, really how soft, but I do know this. I know that the Pelicans and the Suns have definitely had easy schedules, and they're, both of their schedules are about to get very difficult, um, not just playing each other, but just if you look, they both have a lot of games against some good teams coming up. And, and so I think we definitely have hit – if we can put some wins together, uh, I definitely think we will gain ground in the standings. And then it's one of those, hey, if we can get up top, can we just kind of hold people off 
for the rest of the year when our schedule maybe gets a little a little harder. But obviously, the hope is when our schedule gets harder, we're going to get healthier. And so, so, so I think it's very exciting. Uh, I'm still, you know, maybe now I'm jinxing it, but I'm still holding on to my uh, Warriors Grizzlies one two in the West when they play on Christmas Day. Um, I actually think the Warriors may not hold up their end of the bargain, but uh, but I'm actually feeling a little better about about the Grizzlies potentially grabbing onto the one seed by Christmas if they can take care of business. Um, but you can see ahead that. Uh, obviously not just these two games, but you also have um, a Hawks team that seems to be imploding right now. Um, and uh, But obviously the Bucks game. And we'll get to that, all that stuff. But so we have some tough games ahead for sure. Uh, but I think it definitely is a time that we can really uh, potentially grab the standings and uh, start moving up. And still only three and a half games separating the number one seed and the number 10 seed in the West. Yeah. So we're still bunched. Worth noting that there needs to be some positive movement for any of these teams that they want to truly gain control in the Western Conference. Um, okay, before we get into talking about the games very briefly, we have our game, Guess Who? It is my turn to ask you, John. This is going to be a, a very unique Guess Who? Because I am going to actually give you the team that I'm asking about. And it is the Detroit Pistons. Now, of course, you would have had a 50-50 shot based on us only playing <laughs> two teams this week. But we actually, I actually have a salary-related question for you. Interesting. Who are the two highest-paid players on the Detroit Pistons? Oh, man. I want to say... Is, is Alec Burks one of the paid players? Alec Burks highest is paid? fourth on the team. Is fourth. Okay, what about Bogdanovich? Bogdanovich is number one. He's making okay, so Bog- $19.6 this year. He's number one on the team. Okay, so Bogdanovich is one, and then, man, everybody's on rookie contracts. Is it Bagley? It's Marvin Bagley. He is the <laughs> second highest paid player on the Detroit Pistons at $12.5 million oh, this year and next. Kate Cunningham is third on his number one pick rookie scale contract. They only have four guys making $2 million or more, and if Bojan Bogdanovich and Marvin Bagley are your two highest paid players on the roster, you know, you're just not going to win, uh, it, and you're not going to be good this year. It sounds like a 6-19 and 19 team is what it sounds it like. It does indeed. Uh, getting into the numbers, okay, oh. well, Detroit, it, it, like you said, 6-19. and 19, They're 15th yeah. in the East, 23rd in offense, 29th in defense, 29th in net rating. We're playing them on Friday in OKC by the numbers. They're 11-13. and 13. They're 12th in the West, 20th in offense, 17th in defense, and 19th in net rating. John, where should we start with these two teams? Well, you know, what's so interesting uh, with the Thunder, so SGA went on a streak of like 30-point games and got all, like if you're listening to podcasts, coming into our game, he, like MVP talk, all-star talk, and then that was one of Dylan's better, like, you know, the Zion game continues to be his greatest, but that was another game where he just shut down SGA um, did exactly what we want Dylan to do. And hilariously enough, he's now coming in, having scored 30 points in 77 straight games again. So there's this interesting I'm, – I'm intrigued to see if that – you know, what gives as far as if that Dylan performance was kind of a one-off, maybe SGA just wasn't feeling it that night, or, you know, if Dylan's going to come out again and basically be like, no – like you're not getting to eight straight thirty point games, so uh, it's it, it'll be that's kind of the thing that I'm looking at, uh, sort of fascinated because you know he's been tearing it up, but not against us. 
And so I'll be interested to see uh, what happens there. Yeah, no real injuries to talk about with OKC. Detroit, however, does have Cade Cunningham, who is yeah. is their guy for, for what it's worth. They do not have him playing right now. I am honestly worried that he might end up having season-ending surgery, and based on how the year is going so far, I don't think it would be the worst idea if there is an injury that's lingering for him just because, to me, this is a lost season. This is a tank-for-victor situation with them. Uh, OKC going to be super intriguing. Last time we played them, it was a lot of fun. Like you said, Dylan just had a great game, a lot of buzz coming into it. But I, I am hoping these two are as professional of wins as we are going to have Yes, um, because we just need to take advantage of, of this opportunity where we have some rest. We have a day off in between this heat game and the OKC game. And hopefully we get some of these guys back who were just listed as, you know, maintenance injuries, your conchars. I, I'm interested to see if Laravia is going to be back soon. He's, he's been out now yeah. uh, a, an amount of time that is slightly concerning. They haven't, seem to be you know pessimistic about him yeah. uh, yet but I I think that's something to keep an eye on because <laughs> I'd love for him to get some minutes against these guys yeah it feels like the it feels sort of like that weird Zaire injury last year that kept him out for a while that it just kept being like soreness and it just was for, it seemed like forever um, so yeah it's definitely it's it's getting to now to where I am a little concerned like I almost would like for the Grizzlies to give an update about Laravia um, but definitely, you know, for me and this, you know, maybe this is like we shouldn't say this. We just want the W's. But like I would love to see at least one of these two games, like basically all the like regulars out to the start, the fourth. Like we have just put it on somebody. We're up twenty five thirty. We're letting all the rookies play. Um, you know, we're looking up and Jaws only played twenty three minutes type of games just because we've come out and establish that obviously we're a contender and these are two teams that um, are looking ahead to Victor Wimbayana. So uh, that's, that's the hope, you know, and obviously, you know, usually we, you, one of these games ends up being close, um, but hopefully they'll both be professional wins. Yep. Grizzlies three and one so far since our last 10 game prediction, John of course had eight as his next 10 game prediction for wins. I had six, the heat game really helped out there, John. I was worried we were going to be two and two going into this stretch, and then you'd have to win six straight, which is possible. We're also, you know, looking ahead at the the Bucks and the Nuggets and the Suns coming up prior to that Christmas game uh, against yeah. the Warriors. So it was going to be a tall task, but we'll see. We'll see. The Grizzlies yeah. are really trending in the right direction. Any final thoughts before we close it out here, John? No, just an exciting week. Um, you know, it's uh, one thing that we haven't said that I just want to throw out there is just that, like, Jaron's been great. It's been great having him back. Uh, I don't think it's any surprise that our defensive efficiency keeps going. Um, but what's been exciting to see is, you know, he's not had some crazy breakout game, but he's just consistently scoring um, and in several ways. And it just it just looks great. And I can't wait to see what the team's going to look like when Bain and Zaire comes back. And so I just think it's exciting. I, I think we, when we had our, our megapod with Ty and Brantley, uh, I feel like there was, there's a little bit of like, I think we were still positive, but I think there was a little bit of sort of like, you know, reluctant optimism, like just because of the injuries and other things. And I feel like, uh, uh, I just feel it just feels re really good to be a Grizzlies fan right now. I, I think I'm excited. I think, I think we're going to have a lot of really fun games. It's probably gonna be some L's because we play teams like the Suns, the Bucks, the Nuggets, the Warriors. But I think what's going to be exciting is uh, this month we're going to really get to test ourselves against our peers. 
Um, and, and I'm really excited about that. Hopefully, hopefully healthy. But uh, but I'm really excited about that. And and I, I should say I meant to say it earlier. Shout out to Brantley. Uh, I think his thoughts on Tyus are proving very accurate uh, recently as well. So shout out to to Brantley for for uh, for his theory about Tyus. It's looking good a week since he said it. So yeah, um, absolutely. We we were I was pumped to see that take uh, come true already so quickly. So uh, this yeah. has been. Another edition of the Weekend Update. Join us next weekend as we'll dive into the latest news, the OKC and Detroit games, and we'll look ahead to the schedule here nearing the Christmas Day game, which will be a really exciting time for the Memphis Grizzlies. Here's to Ja Morant shoe deals, and here's to another week of Grizzlies basketball. For Kraft, I'm Will. We'll see you next weekend.